If you have a Bible with you this morning, please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1, at verse 26. I want to welcome each and every one of you to worship this morning. Always good to be with God's people and to be with the Lord in his worship service. Luke chapter 1 here at verse 26 and following. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, this is the word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to be with us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we turn to you once again now this morning, asking for your spirit to be sent to us that we might have understanding of who you are and what you have done for us in your Son. We pray for strength, O Lord. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds and eyes and ears, teach us and lead us. We pray that we might know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and we might be that much more furthered in what it is to live out the Christian life. And so teach us and lead us. And Father, various needs represented here this morning, you come and be our shepherd and our king and our friend, and you guide us. We turn to you now for your help, and we ask these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, Very likely, uh, biblical churches are focusing in, normally so, ordinarily so, Upon the Lord Jesus Christ this day, it's Christmas Eve, and there is indeed likely a focus upon who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Uh, Biblical Christianity emphasizes his one person. Uh, He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man, uh, the person born of Mary. And the Lord Jesus Christ, being one person, he exists with two natures. Uh, the divine nature, distinct, and the human nature, distinct. Not, not separated, one person, two natures. Uh, our God, who is our Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is one who is equal with the Father and the Spirit. He exists uh, in that same eternal Godhood. Uh, The very eternal Son of God, we read it this morning, who is very God of very God, 
He took on manhood. That is, as even as we've read here in Luke, he's born of Mary. One person, fully God, fully man, two distinct natures, the divine nature and the human nature. That's biblical Christianity. And likely churches, uh, men are preaching the good news of who he is. And to be sure, what he has come to earth to do. Now, in our passage this morning here in Luke 1, the spotlight is on our Savior's humanness. It's his humanness that's before us. In verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. So God's truth is declaring a physical mother and her son, Uh, miraculously conceived from the Holy Spirit. There is reference for us, the city of Nazareth. It's real history. It's real humanness. Uh, Humanness of the physical life. Humanness in Mary's womb. The spotlight is on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and his humanness. One pastor writes, all the essential respects of Christ's human body was identical to our own. His body had the same anatomy, the same physiology, the same biochemistry, the same nervous system, the same basic genetic code. Like all mothers, she, Mary, like all mothers, contributed to him all that any human mother contributes to her child. In the case of Jesus, all the essentials of the human makeup except sin. Maybe you recall back in, I'm going to say maybe the early or mid-1980s, maybe you remember the book, God Came Near. God Came Near, the author Max Lucado. He imagines Mary having various questions posed to her. Maybe you remember that chapter in his book. Mary, what was it like watching him pray? When he saw a rainbow, did he ever mention a flood? Did you ever feel awkward teaching him how he created the world? How did he act at funerals? How well did he do at school? Questions about the person of Jesus, his humanness. Now, I want you to think with me here in the passage today that in announcing this one who is born, uh, the son of David, the king, it's his humanness. That is to say, our theme is right here. In his humanness, that humanness fits perfectly with our need. His humanness comes right to us where we live as persons, human beings. That is our theme this morning from the passage. Jesus, who's named, or he's given that name, Jesus, who's given the name Jesus, he's our Savior. And this announcement is tied in to man's need. Now, what we're going to do is underscore the fact that salvation from God is personal. Salvation from God is personable. There's this, there's this, this, this humanness that is woven in with God's plan for salvation. And I'd like to underscore three things about this personal salvation. It's individual. It's about reconciliation. And then thirdly, it matters. 
for all kinds of relationships. So here's our question. How does his humanness fit right in with man's need? First, in this humanness of our Savior, it means that it indeed is personal. Think about the angel first going to Mary. It's right on the page, the surface of the page of Scripture here. Very personal. He visits Mary. And you see, just that reference alone is a continuation of this long line throughout the Bible of how our God comes to visit individuals. It's Adam. It's Eve. It's Noah. It's Abraham. We're talking about names and faces and places and situations. God is coming to visit to do what? To teach, to correct, to warn, to promise. And it's all about his salvation plan. And there are individuals uh, here uh, in view. And think of our Lord himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. He visits with Nicodemus at nighttime. He visits with a woman of Samaria at that well, and he's thirsty. There's Zacchaeus up in the tree, that wee little man. The Bible underscores this. The Lord knows his sheep and the Lord knows them by name and they hear his voice and they follow. You see, salvation is about God having your address, your name, your background, the times in which you live, the appointed seasons for your life. That's what the Bible teaches us in Acts chapter 17. From one man came every nation, every household, every person to do what? To live on the face of the earth. And our God has determined the times, the seasons, and the places of our dwelling. So God sent his son. God sent his son to persons with names and addresses. And this is his plan. It's personal salvation. It's individual in that sense. Now, the backdrop to this is the biblical teaching about the covenant. God has his plan. His plan is to make himself known through what the Bible calls the covenant. Somewhere between 250, 280, 290 times that word covenant appears in the Bible. And that word covenant, whether it appears about God's plan for man or a plan between persons, two men, two kings of two nations, it's all about a plan for a relationship. That's the covenant. And concerning God in his own covenant making, it's his entering into this relationship that he makes with us as humans. He designs the plan. He tells of the promises concerning the plan. He tells of the obligations in the plan. He tells about the warnings of what will happen when those obligations are violated. He tells us to trust him. Trust him in this plan. And that's what you have. You have it with Adam. You have it with Noah. You have it with Abraham. You have it with Moses and David and so on. It's his relationship with his people. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he himself walked in covenant with his father. Individual, personal, for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You see, in the strength of and the power of the Holy Spirit, he walks with his Father. And you remember, he showed us that sign, that sign of his own commitment to walk in relationship to his Father. What's the sign? He gave the Lord's Supper. Remember what he said? This cup, this cup which represents 
my blood. This cup is my blood shed for many and showing keeping of the covenant. This blood is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus himself walked in that place of personally giving himself to the Father's plan for the covenant. Salvation is personal for him in that sense. Humiliated in his life, humiliated at Calvary's cross, buried in the tomb on the third day, raised from the dead, then ascended to the Father's right hand. And the Bible tells us the Son is vindicated. He's declared the righteous one ruling over all the nations. And that he's the Savior of the world. He walked in covenant with God. And this is why God offers to you this morning the gift of salvation. By faith in Jesus Christ, turning from your own sin, turning to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are incorporated into that covenant relationship by faith in Jesus Christ. He lived that life in covenant that you can't live. He went to Calvary's cross to pay the penalty for our sin. We deserve to die. die. He is our place taker. He gives himself to walk in covenant and by faith in Christ. Is that where you're at this morning? Is your faith, is your trust in Jesus Christ alone? For he is the covenant keeper for you. And you're brought into that personal relationship. His life is ours. His death is ours. His resurrection is ours. His ascension is ours. And by faith, we are united to that exalted son who sits at the right hand. And that's the hope of walking in faith personally through Jesus Christ. That relationship is personal. That salvation is personal. But secondly, it concerns reconciliation. There's an emphasis here in that salvation is personal, that man has a need before the holy God. Think about this now. Against whom have we sinned? With whom do we have a problem? Man has sinned against God. Our sin has brought about a person-to-person alienation. There's a person-to-person offense. There's a person-to-person aggravation about our sin. The book of Romans tells us we are powerless, we are enemies, we are ungodly. Romans chapter 5. And with sin being against God, God himself comes. He must do the reconciling. That's why Wesley says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Colossians tells us in the, in the fullness of God, in him dwells bodily. It's the fullness of God who dwells in him bodily. Do you see it then? If our sin is personal, sin against God, then the only way God can work his plan of salvation for us is for God to enflesh himself and he must come and dwell among us. So God became man. I like what one pastor says, and I think it's right on target. The salvation that man, that man needs cannot be delegated. 
it must be brought by God. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. God must come and he must set us in the right with himself. And you see, this once again underscores the nature of our need. If our sin need was a disease, perhaps a global antibody could meet the need to purify the world. That might work. If our sin need was more information, God could remain at a distance. Let's say he's in heaven. Let's say he dispatches an angel on a cloud. This is what you need to know. But is man's fundamental need getting more information? Do we need that information in from a distance? Would that do the job? Or maybe man's fundamental need is because of demonic activity. God could marshal forth a legion of angels. Protect us. Watch over us. Is that man's need? Is that your need? So what is man's problem? He has a person-to-person alienation with God. He's separated from God. He has a darkened, corrupt nature. Man's own person, body and soul, in his own humanness, it's his tongue, his mind, his hands, his heart, his, his inner wants and ambitions. Every aspect of man is ruined. So someone... Someone with clean hands and a pure heart has to come. And God must do what only God can do. Jesus, he who is without sin, lives to his Father in thought, words, and deeds. He is our righteousness. By his life and death and resurrection, he reconciles us to God. He lives and he dies for us. The man who is righteous is the one who goes to the cross. And at the cross, he takes on our sin on our behalf. Salvation is personal in this way, too. God meets us face to face, person to person, to reconcile us unto himself. Then one more. In the third place, this matter of salvation is personal, and that God's salvation matters for all kinds of relationships. All kinds of relationships, all kinds of spheres of life. The passage is clear. Mary is the mother. Joseph is the earthly father. Now watch this. Jesus comes to live with us in the human race. He's born into a physical, earthly family. Why are there so many stories concerning his mother or stories about his family? Why the episode of being at that temple in his childhood days and he's listening there to the teachers and his parents are searching for him? How about the the time, two or three times of his teaching ministry and his mothers and his brothers came to the house seeking him? Uh, Why the words over in the Gospel of John? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Think about this. 
Why didn't God have his son enter upon the earth? God became man, say, at 29, 30 years of age, just as a grown adult. One Bible theologian asks, couldn't the son of God descend upon a cloud at 33 years of age? Would that be human? Would that be God entering into the human race? How crazy different that is. So what does the Bible teach? He came, born of Mary, to be a son, a brother, a part of an extended family, with a full genealogy, with relationships of all kinds. The gospel, according to the announcement of this king, our Savior, means he came, our our God came all the way down for salvation. And he serves his father from start to finish. God the Son, a full humanness, ministering in every relationship. He was about salvation to religious teachers of his day, to fishermen, to those in the trades, widows, Roman soldiers, disabled persons, diseases of different kinds. He went to Jewish and Roman political zealots to Jewish and Roman civil authorities. What are we saying here then? Salvation is personal in this way too. And in his ministry of grace and truth, his ministry matters to every human sphere. And do you see that biblical proportion about what we are to be about in everyday Christian life? Do we know him individually? Do we know him in that our sins have been paid for and we've been reconciled to God? And connected with that, are we seeing then lives changed in our homes? Marriages being turned around for Christ's sake. Parenting now being founded upon the rock who is Jesus. Teaching our sons and daughters diligently the way of the Lord. Of course we are. That's the gospel at work. Are we seeing now businesses that are rightly founded upon truth? Are we now seeing commerce rightly done on truth? How about the educational sphere? Teachers, being lives being changed. How about matters of civil government and authorities and taxation? The point is the gospel matters to all kinds of relationships and all kinds of spheres. And what I want to leave us this morning with is that in this plan of salvation being so personal and affecting all kinds of relationships, it's centered upon the image, the depiction, the reality that it's a son. It's a son who comes to serve his father, and we are the beneficiaries of the son. Salvation is this personal walk of walking as a child. Unless you become like little children, you should not enter the kingdom of God. And a child shall lead them. Wisdom is vindicated by children. Matthew 11. You see, God could have underscored, say, this image or this depiction. 
Maybe it, was be, maybe it would be best to communicate to man an employer to employee. God so loved the world that he sent his field manager. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a legal image. God so loved the world that he sent his attorney. How about, a, how about a military image? God so loved the world that he sent his four-star general. Now, there might be a place for those images in Scripture. We know them. But what's the dominant image? It's, it's the family image. It's the familial image. It's the son who walks in covenant with his father. God takes that image and he runs it through the Christian life. And so fathers, you are charged to your sons and your daughters because the gospel will grow through the hope of little ones yet coming behind us. The gospel has triumphed over the generations. Mothers, you are charged in your childbearing and your nurture of your children to mother those children. After all, the very mother of God, the church, is that place of nurture and training and teaching and discipleship. Businessmen here this morning, you're to be a son following the son, the Lord Jesus, in that you are to have a stewardship, a management He owns your business. He owns your office. He owns those who have authority over you. A son is dependent upon others. A son gladly serves. We're to walk the walk, whatever station, whatever calling, whatever circumstance, in this model and image of being a son dependent upon the Lord. Lord, you own my life. I'm only here as a steward. And I long for the day of my full inheritance as a child, as a son, in the greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This all stems from this personal relationship of the son unto his father. Now, Good Shepherd Church, we are charged by God's grace to plant a congregation here in this Fort Bend County area. And there are many, many orphans, spiritual orphans all around us. Lost in ruin. Forsaken in this dark world. Not sure of a father, not sure of a mother. Whether in some cases, of course, physically or, of course, spiritually. Some are living in outright rebellion, darkened in their own corrupt nature, foolish in their ways, trying to be a child in their own terms, and all the while denying the imageness that's on them. They are God's creation made in his image. Will you take the story of Christmas in these days and these weeks and you tell your neighbor a co-worker, friend, someone nearby, and say, I know what it is to be an orphan.
But God offers that personal relationship because of what Jesus Christ has done. There's life in the Son. He who has the Son, John tells us, he who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Pray for your pastor. Pray for our pastor. Pray for one another. Lord, you've entrusted to us the message of a new family in Christ Jesus. Give me strength. Give me help. Give me words that I might take that message to others. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given to us your son, very God of very God, and in his humanness reaches to the very depths of who we are as persons. O Lord, we ask for the walk of being children, sons and daughters of the Most High God. Jesus, you have made it all possible for us. And now you have placed us in stations and in callings and in spheres and in relationships where we are to impress upon this world in that way, sketch it out, live it out, seek to demonstrate it, that we belong to the family of God. O God, we ask, may you glorify your own great name as others come and walk in covenant with our God with us. Help our pastor, help our elders, help us, Lord, as we seek to plant here in Fort Bend County. Help us with households and families and single persons. Oh, Lord, this is the day of salvation in the sun. May we live it out and you build your church. Oh, Lord, glorify your great name here at Christmas time. Through Christ our Lord, we ask these things. Amen.